Hey everybody, this is Rich Raffalino with Gestalt IT, and it's time for the Gestalt IT rundown. We're going to be doing it this week, but we're going to be doing a pared down version. Uh, we're still going to be covering the IT news of the week that you want to hear and everything like that. Uh, it just didn't feel, though, um, given everything that's going on this week, that it would be right to have our usual pitter-patter and stuff like that. So we'll be back next week. Uh, me, Tom, maybe Stephen Foskett uh, joining uh, along as well and doing our usual Gestalt IT rundown, full conversation and stuff like that. This week, we're just going to be doing focused a headlines edition just to keep you up to date on the IT news of the week. And we will move on from there. So thank you for joining us. Uh, uh, first, a uh, bit of news that we had this week, uh, appropriately enough, uh, Cisco CEO Chuck Robbins announced in a YouTube video that the company will postpone Cisco Live, which was scheduled to start today. Robbins said that people across the U.S. and the world are dealing with so much pain, frustration, and anger. We want to give you space this week to do what you need to do within your organizations and communities. And I think if there's one silver lining of having Cisco Live be a virtual event uh, due to uh, COVID-19 lockdowns, uh, the fact that they're able to just kind of flick a switch and decide to postpone it uh, when the mood feels appropriate. Um, we've had situations in the past um, where events kind of had to go on, uh, even in events of things like mass shootings and stuff like that uh, in Vegas uh, a year or two ago now. Um, you know, that was a very bizarre situation, to be quite frank. And the fact that those were tied to physical events kind of limited the uh, availability uh, to to change to fit kind of current conditions. And, um, you know, I, I definitely think this is the right move, certainly the right move for Cisco. Uh, and because it's a virtual event, they're able to uh, kind of very easily pivot on that. One of the things they probably would have announced uh, or given some details about at Cisco Live was the intention uh, to acquire Thousand Eyes, which they was actually announced late last week. If you're not familiar with the company, um, you should definitely check out their tech field day coverage. Uh, they've done, uh, I think, two presentations uh, while they were an independent company. So you might want to check those out. It's a good place to start, but they provide visibility tools uh, for seeing how apps and packets run through multiple networks and clouds. thing that really always stood out to me about them was their path of visualization tool that really lets you see where performance problems were occurring outside of your network, kind of in that path of transit outside of your network, uh, going to a cloud or something like that. You can kind of uh, pinpoint that. I think it was always a really powerful capability. Uh, Cisco uh, says they'll integrate that visibility, those visibility tools across their enterprise networking, cloud, and apps dynamic portfolios. Not really too surprising there. Uh, Thousand Eyes always seemed like more of an integration to me and certainly something that would have been useful for a lot of third parties. Now Cisco, I'm kind of going to be ruling the roost with that IP there. And I think we'll fairly rapidly see that uh, get deployed. Um, the use cases are pretty obvious. Uh, another acquisition news, the cloud security company Zscaler announced it intends to acquire Edgewise Networks. Uh, we heard from Edgewise at Security Field Day last year, and they bring a lot of ML acumen to network micro-segmentation, so kind of two buzzwords there, essentially putting an agent on each host and network to provide unique identifiers for each workload, then to use a ML engine to look at how apps are interacting. Uh, this is really able to be powered because they're policy engine is counting on that individualized and unique identifiers per each workload. So when you're spinning up and down AWS instances or something like that, you're able to identify each one of those as opposed to, okay, it's coming from just one source. I'm going to put an ID on that, that kind of stuff. Uh, really a powerful capability and gives, uh, with, with that policy engine uh, based on ML built in, that's kind of constantly scanning for those interactions, very powerful network. I wonder if this is going to be more of an aqua hire for Zscaler. They already have a pretty robust cloud networking uh, security stack that they're going to be doing a lot of talent edgewise uh so we will see um you know how much of this is actually carried forward how much is this is hey we picked up the team behind that's that's very talented so we will see 
Another news, if you didn't check out our checksum video about why the enterprise is such a desirable landing spot for a lot of uh, maybe perceived as failed consumer AR products or augmented reality products, uh, we were talking a lot about uh, companies like, uh, you know, or products like Google Glass, Microsoft HoloLens, and of course, Magic Leap and now Business Insider obtained a memo from Magic co-founder and CEO Tony Abovitz to employees saying that he will step down and the company is actively recruiting candidates to replace him as CEO. So if there's any doubt uh, that the company is definitely pivoting hard to the enterprise, the fact that their CEO that kind of shepherded them through multiple highly successful funding rounds, uh, they've had raised literally billions of dollars uh, for this product on the vision that they would be a consumer device. Uh, they've announced that they're already planning on shifting to enterprise, you know, looking at healthcare, oil and gas, those kind of um, uh, uh, verticals that where AR has already been successful uh, in a lot of ways uh, with products like Google Glass and Microsoft HoloLens. Uh, the fact that he is stepping down as CEO kind of, I think, is emblematic of that complete shift for that company. Uh, we'll see, um, you know, uh, a lot of these products that we assume are failed or, or have not uh, performed up to, I guess, the the initial expectations go on to have pretty successful lives in the enterprise. We'll see if Magic Leap can uh, also follow that path. Next up, as part of uh, Zoom's Q1 earnings report, CEO Eric Yoon said that the company will continue, uh, will uh, excuse me, the, the company's coming end-to-end -end encryption features will only be for paid users, saying that it did not want to provide uh, the end-to-end -end encryption for free users in order to comply with law enforcement requirements. That was the, the language that he used, did not want to provide. Uh, Zoom's Alex Stamos said that the company does not monitor free Zoom calls or silently record them, kind of allaying privacy concerns there, but that not having end-to-end -end encryption on free calls will help the company identify repeat offenders. I do wonder, though, for paid users, I mean, is that I don't know if that's Zoom saying uh, we're you're paying us, and so if you do any misconduct that we can't monitor, I, I don't, I kind of don't see the distinction and the difference there. But uh, I am not a legal scholar. On the call, Zoom reported revenue of three hundred twenty-eight million dollars, beating analyst expectations of two hundred two million dollars, and said that they had two hundred sixty-five thousand four hundred customers with ten or more employees, a four times increase on the year. We've seen a lot of numbers. Uh, we've heard that Zoom usage is way up, way up, way up. Uh, these are the first kind of quarterly earnings numbers that we've seen, and certainly those customer numbers, uh, certainly um, giving specifics to the thing that we all assumed uh, for a while now. Google and Microsoft are reportedly considering buying stakes in Indian telecom companies. The Financial Times reports that, according to sources, Google is considering buying a 5% stake in Vodafone Idea, the second largest telecom in the country. Meanwhile, the Indian newspaper Mint reports that Microsoft is in talks to invest up to $2 billion in Reliance Geo platforms, according to their sources. And back in April, Facebook invested $5.7 million for a 9.99% stake in Reliance Geo platforms. I included that there to give some context for how much of a stake $2 billion would buy. Uh, for Microsoft, so essentially a third of that. Um, so looking at maybe a little over a 3% stake for Microsoft. But obviously, India is a growing market. And what is interesting to see, we've already seen Microsoft make partnerships with Azure, bundling, I believe, with Reliance Geo and some other telecoms in the area or in the country, excuse me, to you know kind of bundle all those services together in business packages. So, okay, you're buying internet access, you need um, some MSP, uh, services from your telecom or something like that. Uh, hey, you get some Azure uh, with it as well. I think a lot of companies, not just seeing the next billion customers when it comes to uh, things like obviously Windows installs or something like that, phone apps and stuff like that. Now we're seeing maybe cloud business uh, moving, becoming a priority for a lot of these companies too. Facebook obviously has their incentives um, to grow their user base there and maybe uh, finding a way to somehow zero rate service in India. They've tried it before. Maybe having a telecom partner will get them there as well. Uh, next up, the Raspberry Pi Foundation released a new model of the Raspberry Pi 4 with 8 gigabytes of LPDDR4 RAM, priced at $75. 
You better take advantage of the additional memory. The foundation also released a 64-bit beta of the Raspbian Linux operating system, which has been renamed to the Raspberry Pi OS. So a couple of things there. One, uh, up until now, the biggest, uh, uh, the most memory you could get on a Raspberry Pi was four gigabytes, certainly eight gigabytes. And this is fast modern memory um, will certainly allow a lot for a lot more multitask. Um, also opens up, I think, some new avenues for server capabilities. Uh, the big news here is, is it is getting more expensive. Um, the shift to Raspberry Pi OS says maybe they have some more um, beyond hobbyist ambitions for this. We've seen companies like um, NetBees do use Raspberry Pis for their network monitoring tools, that kind of stuff. Certainly, like I said, uh, very popular among hobbyists. And, and for uh, smaller projects and that kind of stuff, everybody's building their clusters. Uh, if you're not following Alex Ellis on uh, YouTube, he does a lot of fun things uh, with containers and Raspberry Pis and stuff like that. So check that out as well. Um, eight gigabytes certainly is new capabilities. I would have much preferred them to say we're giving it more IO. Maybe that's coming in the Raspberry Pi 5. Google initially rolled out its same site cookie labeling policy with the release of Chrome 80 back in February, which blocked third-party cookies on websites. There are some exceptions there, but it sets up a much more stringent requirements for third parties to display cookies on websites. This was subsequently rolled back in April in order to not break any access to essential websites during the escalation of the COVID-19 pandemic. Google now says it's bringing back the same site cookie update on July 14th. I'm sorry, yeah, excuse me, July 14th with the release of Chrome 84 which will be gradually rolled back to the Chrome 80 release, so becoming effective for those older installs, uh, but essentially uh, saying, okay, we've given you now uh, you know, five months. Uh, that was enough time to kind of update your website, make sure things aren't going to break. When this does uh, officially roll out, um, certainly I think it was well-timed uh, to roll that back, not standing on principle, realizing websites have to stay up when everybody is stuck at home and depending on uh, the internet more than ever. Uh, but uh, uh, I think the timing here seems right. Uh, if not, uh, let us know in the comments. Uh, and uh, uh, please uh, uh, educate. Next up, OpenAI released a paper detailing its new GPT-3 language model, which is able to run uh, with 175 billion parameters on that AI model. This compares to the current GPT-2 model, uh, which supports 1.5 billion parameters, and Microsoft's latest transformer-based language model, which was just released last month, supports up to 17 billion uh, parameters, so just kind of giving the scale of, of the complexity that GPT-3 supports. As opposed to transformer-based learning, uh, which, like I said, Microsoft and a lot of other models use, uh, that needs spe uh, task-specific data sets that have to be massive, uh, GPT-3 is an autoregressive model trained with unsupervised machine learning and focuses on few-shot learning techniques. In fact, there we're looking at zero-shot or perhaps one-shot uh, techniques, which just supply a demonstration of a task at inference runtime. No release details of the model were announced, and the paper shows that while it performs extremely well in reading comprehension, one of the things they tested against, it really struggled uh, when completing comparative writing samples uh, kind of in the context of at a middle school level. So able to read a block of text, tell, answer all sorts of questions about that, Comparing the two uh, really was struggling there. Obviously, this is early days. The model isn't even out yet. Uh, they'll probably do a, a slow roll release, which they did with GPT-2 um, to prevent any kind of malware exploitation of this new model and get uh, everybody kind of uh, on board with the power and the complexity that this model supports. Uh, but interesting uh, a new update from OpenAI. Always putting uh, kind of at the bleeding edge of, uh, of AI there. And finally here, I wanted to finish up uh, with uh, Stack Overflow. They published their annual developer survey. Always interesting to look at these. These give some insights into what tools devs are using and things that have changed over the past year. JavaScript, uh, unsurprisingly, remained the most used programming language for the A straight year, followed by the usual suspects of HTML, SQL, and Python. No change in that top four there. TypeScript overtook C and C++ for the eighth most used language. And in a separate uh, uh, question, they were the second most loved among respondents. 
Rust remained the most loved language, while Python fell to number three in that regard. Uh, last year, um, TypeScript and Python were essentially tied uh, for the second place in most loved uh, language. The top three dreaded languages were VBA, Objective-C, and Perl. Uh, interestingly, uh, Perl is, uh, had, was kind of correlated to um, the most salaried uh, among programmers. So if you were a Perl programmer, you were paid the most uh, for your suffering. Database usage remained similar to 2019, with over half of respondents using MySQL, with most developers loving Redis and dreading IBM DB2. Looking at DevOps, 81% of developers said DevOps was somewhat or very important to scaling software development, while only 43% reported having dedicated DevOps personnel in their organization. So kind of overwhelming support for, hey, DevOps is kind of a big deal, uh, not necessarily seeing that recognized by a lot of organizations, despite what developers are saying. That about brings us to the end of the Gestalt IT Rundown. Like I said, uh, just a very uh, brief uh, headlines edition today. We'll be back next Wednesday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern time uh, with our full uh, Gestalt IT Rundown, uh, uh, having discussions, doing news or not, all that good stuff. Um, you can check out uh, gestaltit.com uh, for more writing and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, that just about does it for the show. Until the next time we meet, uh, take care, everybody. Be safe. We'll talk to you next time.